Please turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, returning to our study of this great book, second book in from the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus chapter 3, verses 10 to 15, remind you where we were when we left off from this text to take up the theme of Easter. Uh, Moses has been exiled from Egypt. He had killed an Egyptian who was mistreating an Israelite. He flees into the desert uh, because Pharaoh was seeking his life. He finds some Midianite women and he helps them. And their father was so appreciative, he took him into his home and gave him his daughter in marriage, Zipporah becomes his wife, and he gives him a job. He gives him a job that is the most despised of all jobs among the Egyptians. He becomes a shepherd. And so here this fallen prince is walking through the wilderness with his sheepfold, and he hears God call him. It's where we take up the text. It's where we take up the story, God's call to Moses. And Moses has not heard the voice of God before, but he hears clearly God calling him to do something that is impossible. And so Moses gives his excuses, and they're reasonable excuses given his circumstances and his context, and they are the excuses that we would have, and maybe they're the excuses we have for not responding to God's call, for choosing to live in fear rather than in the confidence of God's presence. But God meets those excuses. He meets those fears in a surprising, very relieving way. Let's take up the story as it continues in verse 10 of Exodus chapter 3. God says to Moses, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, he said. But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain, this very mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, would you open our eyes to see the gospel? 
to see the gospel as it has come to us in Jesus Christ, as it has come down to us, as it is promised in this text in the Old Testament, as it has been realized in the person of Jesus Christ, as it is is experienced in the Holy Spirit who indwells those who have received Christ by faith alone. We pray, O Lord, that you would give us peace and joy by the promise of your presence. We pray it in the strong name of Christ and for his sake and God's people said together, amen. A few years ago, I read an an opinion piece, an an essay by a, a theologian I admire a great deal. And apparently this theologian was raised or reared in the a kind of theological context I was in when I first came to Christ. Uh, it was a, it's, a, it's the teaching that, that faith is something that you have to manufacture, that faith is something that you have to produce. Uh, in some contexts, faith is something that you, that you exercise by naming it and claiming it. And then if you have sufficient faith, you are rewarded with God's work. But in this piece, he was meditating on what Jesus said when he said, if you have faith as a mustard seed. Now, you who are cooks, you know how small a mustard seed is. It's smaller than a sesame seed. It's a tiny little seed. And yet, if it's planted, it grows into a, a large bush. And Jesus said it, it grows into a large bush, though it's a small seed, and the birds of the air find shelter in it. And how have you heard that, how have you heard that little parable taught? Here's the way I've heard it taught uh, for uh, many years. It, it was that, you know, if you can just produce, if you can just manufacture uh, just a smidgen of faith, then God will respond, He will react, He will reward you with great work in your life. Just takes a little bit of effort on your part and God will give the increase. But this theologian asked this question, what kind of faith does a mustard seed have? If your faith is to be like the mustard seeds, then the mustard seed has a kind of faith. And what kind of faith does that mustard seed have? That faith that the mustard seed has is this. It falls out of someone's hand. It falls to the ground. It's plowed under. It's covered with dirt. It dies. It takes on. It receives moisture, it receives warmth. And when that mustard seed has died and received water and warmth, it germinates and grows. A mustard seed's faith is its doing what it was made to do by receiving. And faith only does one thing, it only receives. Faith only receives. Faith is never presented in the Bible as something you manufacture, something you generate, 
something that you give as a quid pro quo to God that if you turn it in, He will redeem it and reward you by making the first step. Faith receives, and faith specifically receives Christ. It receives Christ all of his benefits, and as it receives Christ, as you receive Christ, you become who you were made to be, and God does his work through you, the work he intends to do. That's the lesson that Moses had to learn in this passage. Moses had to learn that faith receives. God eventually revealed in Jesus Christ. So what do you do? What do you do? How do you receive? You receive by first recognizing that you are not strong and secondly recognizing that you have no credibility. That you bring nothing to this partnership, you can only receive. And as you receive it, you become who you were created to be. It begins with acknowledging and accepting your weakness. Notice how Moses responds to, to, God's, to God's call. He gives three responses. One we saw in verse 6. The others we see in the, in the verses that we, that we have read. And, and the first one in verse 6 is that uh, Moses says effectively, I have no credibility. And secondly, he says, I am afraid And third, he says, I am inadequate. I have no credibility. I am terribly afraid. And I am inadequate. I don't have any resources. And God answers those protests. He answers those excuses not with chastisement, not as I do sometimes as a father, uh, by saying, I don't care what your excuses are. Do it anyway. He doesn't answer that way. He answers with himself. In every way you are lacking, I am supplying. The more realistic you come, become about yourself, which is you bring nothing to this partnership, that you are totally weak. The greater you are in, the, the, more, the, 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 the more accurate is your perspective and the, the better position you're in. For me to get a name for myself by demonstrating my strength through you. So Moses gives three protests, three excuses, and God answers them with seven attributes. To all of Moses' perfections, to his three imperfections, God answers with his perfections. And here they are. First of all, his, in theology we call it his aseity or his self-sufficiency. You see it in verse 2. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. The church fathers like Gregory of Nyssa, the old church father said, in this burning bush we see that God is the transcendent cause of everything on which everything depends. This bush, which is on fire and is never consumed, is an objective demonstration of who God really is. He is one who needs no one, who has never been originally set in motion, but he is spontaneously generative of everything that we need. He is entirely self 
sufficient. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He needs no one else. He is the total supply of all life and all being. Secondly, he is holy, verse 5. Verse 5, he is holy. Moses, don't come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. Holiness is not just moral perfection. It is the fact that he is entirely other than we are. In every way that we are not what we are supposed to be, God is. In every way that we are something that we are not supposed to be, God is not. God is totally other and therefore entirely reliable. Thirdly, he is covenantal. Verse 6, I said, uh, God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. I have fulfilled my promise. And when we read those names, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we cannot help but remember their imperfections. We cannot help but remember their failures of faith because God wrote them into the Bible so that we are sure that they are not the Messiah. They are ones who need a Messiah. Abraham failed to respond, failed to obey, lied about his wife. Isaac, self-serving, indulgent, neglectful father. Jacob, uh, a, a, a crooked and beguiling person. I am their God. I made a promise to them, and no matter what they did, how they even tried to prohibit by their unfaithfulness the forward movement of my redemptive story, I conquered them by my faithful covenantal love. God sets His love on you in Jesus Christ, makes a covenant with you. There is nothing you can do or undo to change that love. Covenantal, I am redemptive. Verse 8, look at this. This is amazing. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I have come down in order to bring them up. This is the promise of the coming Christ. And whenever redemption is mentioned, the implication, if not the explicit promise, is that this is a redemption that has to be purchased by the blood of God. And God says, I have come down to, to, to set in motion this fact that I am going to come down in the person of Christ and I will not return to heaven without shedding my blood sufficiently to cover your sins and to unite you to myself. He is, he is, he is self-sufficient. He is holy. He is covenantal. He is redemptive. He is sovereign. Verse 10, he says, I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people and the children of Israel out of Egypt. Literally, by means of the verb stem that is used in this statement, God says to Moses, come, bring them out. Come to me. Bring them out. I'm not inviting you. 
I'm not hoping that you'll take my advice. I am telling you, as the God of the universe, as the king of all creation, I am telling you, do it. But then he follows. He follows that command with all of the attributes that Moses will need for his encouragement to do the impossible. Verses 7 and 9, he is merciful. Not only is he sovereign, he's merciful. God said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. Verse 9, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I've seen their oppression. You can almost hear God's voice cracking as he says, my people are in pain. They have reached out to me. They have been oppressed. They've complained to me about their oppressors. And I must help them. And I'm sending you Moses not because I have great confidence in you, not because I've looked over the earth and I've tried to find a leader who is sufficient to do it, but I have confidence because the final characteristic is I will be with you. I am imminent. I'm the one who's present. You see it in verses 8 and 10 and 12, I have come down. Uh, I have uh, come, verse 10, I will send you. Verse 12, I will be with you. God never tells us to be strong and courageous in the Bible, except He always follows it with that promise, I will be with you. Just where are you afraid? Where are you afraid? Where are you feeling inadequate? Where are you feeling oppressed, abused, mistreated? Then hear a father who sends a son to say, every place you are inadequate every place you have been mistreated, every place where you have been harmed or hurt or harassed or intimidated, every place where you are afraid, I assure you that in my being, in the seven perfections of my person, in these attributes, I am everything that you need. Not only by which you will be healed, but by which you will respond to me and you'll demonstrate my power in you. I remember this morning pondering this, this passage of a testimony I read by a father a number of years ago, a, a young father whose wife died very unexpectedly. And he was left with a very young son to rear by himself. 
And he says, uh, after the funeral, on the night of the funeral, it came time to, for bed. And his son obviously was very unsettled and was having trouble falling asleep. So dad crawled into bed with his son just to lie with him until he drifted off to sleep. And as the father lay there next to his son, tears running down his face, worried and afraid, what does the future look like for me? His heart breaking itself and thinking about uh, how am I going to raise this child? How am I going to be father and mother to this child? What is in the future for both of us? A question pierced the darkness. Dad, dad. He braced himself because it's a questioning, it's a questioning call. My son's about to ask me a question. Dad, and what's he going to ask? Why did mommy have to die? Is mommy going to come back? Dad, daddy, is your face toward me? I can't see your face, but if I just know that it's toward me, I can fall asleep. You ever heard a benediction that goes like this? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you and give you what? His peace. No matter what you are going through, no matter how weak you feel, you may know the Father's face is toward you. And it's not, a, it's not just a face staring at you, but it is a face that is toward you, motivated to turn toward you by a heart that bears your pain, who comes and looks at your pain and he says, I know your oppression, I know your weakness, I know your fears, I know your inadequacies, and I am answering them all with myself. And you say, oh, if only his face were real, he did put on a face. And we've seen it. We have beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Full of what? Grace and truth. The face of Jesus. And it is the Holy Spirit indwelling you that etches that face on you again and again to say, my face is toward you. The weaker you are, the weaker you admit yourself to be. Not that you have to become weak because you already are. It's the, the, the process of life is just discovering who you really are. That you're really as weak as God sees you to be. The weaker you realize yourself to be, the stronger is His grace in you. Paul said that. Second thing you need to rest in is his credibility for your inexperience. Even now you know what God is calling you to do or to be. You know that thing he wants you to do, that person he wants you to become, 
that act of obedience, that response to His grace that He has put on your heart, and you know what it is, and your excuses are like mine and like Moses, and they are this, but I am not able. So how does God answer that? How does God answer, I don't have the credibility to do what uh, what you're calling me to do. I don't have the qualifications. God says, I am. As you can imagine, tomes have been written over why God answers with this, this four-letter four word, Yahweh. What does this mean, I am? It means, here's what all of my years of studying Hebrew have taught me. This is what it means, I am. God answers it with himself. That's a little more than that. It is not just I am, but I cause to be. Later, he'll introduce, he'll make a slight variation on that name and say, not only, am I, not only am I, I cause to be. I am the source of all being, and I give being to anyone or anything that exists. God identifies himself as a verb. And so when he calls you, whatever he's calling you to do, and your protest is, but I'm inadequate, I'm not credible, he says, you're finally seeing things my way. I am, and I cause to be. Now, Moses uh, uh, does differentiate himself from God in part of his complaint. When God says to Moses, He calls to him, Moses, and Moses answers what? Here I am. Moses doesn't answer. God says, Moses. Moses doesn't answer, I am. Moses answers, here I am. And by answering that way, he relates that he is finite, that he is restricted to a place. Here. God doesn't restrict himself to a place. He just says, I am. And Moses further says, and we get this as he unpacks his excuses, and he'll continue to unpack those excuses all the way to chapter 6, and he'll say effectively this, here only I am. You're asking me to go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, to let my people go. You're asking me to go to a people who have rejected me, my adoptive family, and my people from whom I am descended ethnically who have also rejected me, or or maybe he's still thinking his parents have rejected him by giving him up for adoption. Here I am, here only I am, totally rejected by both of my adoptive and my biological families. I'm a man of stammering speech, and I'm a man who is in a vocation that is the most despised of all to Egyptians. Here only I am. You've got to find somebody else who has credibility, who has the qualifications, who is accepted, who has ability to do what you're calling me to do. And God answers not only with, I am, and I cause to be, but he answers with, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I've made it my practice from the beginning of human history 
to take unqualified people and to do through them works that manifest that I am the only one who could have done it. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And furthermore, he says later in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, when Moses is asking again, what qualifications do you have to lead us a sinful people? God says, here is who I am. Here is the essence of who I am. I am compassionate. You want to see my glory? You want to know what makes me tick? You want to make, you want to see the heart, my heart of hearts? Here is who I am. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion and mercy on whom I will have mercy. I am mercy. I am the one who insists before I can work in them that they admit that they're unqualified and they're weak. And then through their weakness, my grace will become strong. David Livingston, the great missionary who took the gospel into the heart of Africa, returned on one occasion to receive a, an award from his alma mater in Glasgow. And people were very eager to see this mighty man who took on death itself in Africa to take the gospel to its center. But when he finally made himself, made his, his way onto the stage, he was very unimpressive. He was haggard from the equatorial heat. He was his... His, his body was broken down from the 30-plus tropical fevers he had endured. His left arm hung limply at his side because he had been mauled by a lion. In total silence, he anticipated what the question was. Do you want to know, he said. Do you want to know by what strength, by what motive, by what power I return to Africa? I tell you, it is this, just this one promise. Jesus said, I will be with you. It's all you need. All you need. All you need for whatever weakness, for whatever inadequacy you have, you just need this from the God who has fulfilled his promise in Jesus Christ. I am and will be with you. If he's not your Savior, make him so. And then watch what God can do with a mustard seed. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we are a weary people, made weary by our own strivings, made weary trying to make ourselves acceptable.
made weary by trying to accomplish things by which other people will uh, tell us we're okay. Made weary by our fears, by our shame, by our embarrassing weakness and the inadequacy we try so desperately to keep hidden from our peers and from the rest of the world. And so we need to hear today in a fresh way, come unto me, you weary, and I will give you rest. Oh Lord, give us that yoke that you bear with us, that we might do your work in such a way that you get a name for yourself. In Jesus' name we pray it, God's people said, amen.